just by way of quick review, we had talked last week about the fact that the terms for poverty, <clears throat> that there are five terms, right, in the Hebrew, Ebion, Dush, Ral, uh, uh, Dal, Rush, Chaser, Ani, and so forth. Um, and one in, in the Greek New Testament, Tokos, right, for the poor. But we also said that there are other terms that reflect social marginalization or, or economic marginalization, which reflect poverty but don't use the specific words per se, right? So widow, orphan, foreigner. Chuck mentioned last week um, it would look probably a little bit like um, those with leprosy, people that have physical disabilities who are on the margins and who, whose personal um, challenges, whether it be physical or whether it be mental, would be something that would land them in a position of, of economic need. So we talked about these a little bit last week, and we had the handout, right? And then we discussed the implications a little bit. And we talked about what would be the solution. How would we deal with these different types of sources of poverty, right? So we said relief, economic projects, rush being injustice, right? People finding themselves desperate because of injustice done to them. Um, personal discipleship for um, individual sin, right? And we said that people who have found themselves in economic difficulties because of their own sinful behavior are people who need to be walked alongside. Okay? So let's take a look here, and I'm not going to belabor this because you do have the slides here, and they are kind of self-explanatory, but just to give people a, a chance to ask questions if there are any. Um, we're going to start with the Old Testament here. The importance of the idea of poverty is that it, there's, there's n n in no way is it ever idealized. Okay? Um, the idea of poverty is something that is, is, is personally kind of um, an, you know, odious to the Lord. Um, he says in, in Deuteronomy 15 that there should be no poverty in the land, right? But he also says, this is if you are steadfast in your commitment to what I've taught you and to obedience, right? So, but the idea of poverty is not something that is necessarily blessed in any kind of way, right? In the Old Testament, it, it's, it's seen really as kind of being a curse, okay? It's something that isn't, um, is obviously the antithesis of a blessing, and this idea of um, stability and prosperity is something that comes and transcends and moves over into the New Testament. For example, when we encounter in the New Testament the Pharisees, uh, the, the idea of the Pharisees um, believing that wealth was um, a sign of righteousness, right, um, comes way back from the Old Testament, this idea that somehow the wealthy are blessed because of their righteousness. Okay? And that there must be a fundamental deficiency with the poor. Okay? This is an idea that generated way back in the Old Testament. However, when we see in the law, we see that there are many commandments that are intended to help the poor, right? Let's turn to 
Deuteronomy for a moment, Deuteronomy 15. This is really kind of a key, key chapter here. If we could read from Deuteronomy 15, 1 through 11, please, that would be great. If somebody has that, I just want to start and read a few verses and somebody else will pop in. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. This is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel the loan he has made to his fellow, fellow Israelite. He shall not require payment from his fellow Israelite or brother. Because the Lord's time for canceling debts has been proclaimed. You, you may require payment from a foreigner, but you must cancel any debt your brother owes you. However, there should be no poor among you, for in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. Somebody want to take over? Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, uh, if only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands I am giving you today, for the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised, and you will lend to many nations but borrow from none. You will rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. If there is a poor man among your brothers in any of the towns of the land that, your Lord, that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your poor brother. <coughs> Rather, be open-handed and freely lend him whatever he needs. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts is near, so that you do not show ill will toward your needy brother and give him nothing. You may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. Hmm. Give Get, generously. No, that's right. Give generously to them and do so with a break, without a break in his heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you No, that's fine. Through 11, right. So does this sound familiar? Does Jesus refer to this at some point in the New Testament, right? He says the poor will always be with you, right? And, that's the reasoning behind, you know, relieving debt for your fellow Israelites or your brothers, but not foreigners. Uh, for fellow Israelites and not foreigners. Well, the foreigners were supposed to have been completely... Um, eliminated, right, when everybody moved into the land of Canaan, right? So there was, a, there was a promised land, and the foreigners were, if they weren't totally destroyed, they were to be under subjection to the Israelites. So the Gentiles were never fully considered the people of God, not until the time of Christ, right? So, so this idea of foreign or foreigners being, um, you know, somehow subservient or the rules didn't apply to them the way that they did to the Israelites. This is really kind of, I think, the thought process around this is, is that the foreigners aren't, the, aren't God's chosen people here. So the concern is about being open-handed toward the people who are, who are chosen. Right? Does that make sense? 
Right. It doesn't. It doesn't seem completely right. Because I think you could find, you know, many verses in the Bible that tell you to help the foreigners. You you do, and you think about Ruth, right? Ruth was a Moabitess, and she came in, right? And and Boaz was incredibly generous toward her. Um, I I I mean, that's that's the best that I've. Uh, yeah, and I'm not sure. I think maybe that the focus of this is really about what should be done within the nation of Israel. Um, all of the, you know, all of the Pentateuch is so focused on, you know, God's chosen people and that type of thing that it's perhaps something that, um, you know, really is is primarily the focus here. Um, but it is a it is a meaningful question. I don't know if I have a really good answer for that. Yeah. Well, the New Testament talks about reaching out to the household of faith first. Yeah, yeah. And you wonder if you would forgive debts of the foreigner in some way that would substantiate their unbelief in their false gods, and that if they want to benefit with Israel, mm. that they would uh, come to faith yeah. in Jehovah God yeah. instead of just blessing them outright. Good, you're, nice. you're hurting them, like, like you're, you're giving things to them that actually hurt them because it makes them not think about faith anymore. Yeah. Nice, Chuck. I like that. You know, um, this whole um, chapter 15 is, um, it, I guess, obviously, like a, in the historical context of, mm-hmm. you know, sure. um, the Israelites being instructed by God about what to do ideally, because even though in verse 4 it says um, that. Um, 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 there should be no poor among you, and then, but then it goes on in um, um, verse um, eleven. There are always will be poor people in the world. Yeah, right. So, so Moses is—I I mean, Moses is kind of laying down here. I think um, the ideal mm-hmm. versus what's going to be the reality, mm-hmm. right? It's the, it's the theory and the practice. Yeah, and this whole idea of—I mean. We, we hear this all of the time, or at least I do, is people kind of going to the words of the Lord and saying, um, you know, there will always be poor people in the land type of thing, as if it's kind of this give up, like there's, I mean, what? We've been promised that this is going to be the reality, right? But when you look at Deuteronomy here, I mean, the argument is there will always be poor in the land, and therefore you can help them. Right, that you're to be open-handed toward the poor. Right, um, so it's it's an oppor- it's an opportunity to display your religion in a tangible kind of way. It's not kind of this. Well, it's just too big for me. And and if God has said that it's going to be this way, then who am I to really be able to change things one way or the other? It's more along the lines of move toward it. Right, this is an opportunity to display your religion, right? James talks about that as well. So there are a lot of commandments, right, in the law explicitly intended to help the poor. The gleaning, right? We talked about what what is the book that gleaning comes in, Ruth, right? I mean, just Ruth, isn't she amazing? (laughs) She is just absolutely one of the most amazing personalities in the scriptures, Um, so gleaning, right? Leaving the ends of the, or allowing some of the, the wheat to fall, right? For the poor who would who would come behind and not 
not harvesting all the way to the edges of your field and so forth, taking no interest or garments for the indebted poor, the special tithe for the poor. There isn't one tithe in the Old Testament. There's three, actually, one of which is to the poor. Sabbatical year, and this would be the seventh year, right, where the land actually is left fallow and the poor are then allowed to to go and eat from that. So in the prophets, what we see are indictments against the rich, those who oppress the poor. Let's just take a couple of these just so that we can see um, kind of the theme and the thought process. We don't need to read all of them. Let's go with just Amos and Isaiah. If one person could find Amos and one Isaiah, that would be... That would be great. (laughs) Okay. Susan, can you read Amos for us? Oh, I'm sorry. Good, thank you. Yeah, the hard attitude, right, is just completely wrong here. Um, This whole idea of um, when can we be done with worshiping the Lord so that we can actually get on with the the process of living and making ourselves a prophet, right? Who has Isaiah? Um, Go ahead, Mary. Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees, to deprive the poor of of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. What will you do on the day of reckoning when disaster comes from afar? To whom will you run for help? Where will you leave your riches? Nothing will remain but um, to cringe among the captives or fall among the slain. Yet for all this, his anger is not turned away. His hand is still upraised. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow, right? Um, I, I guess the, the question um, that's germane to us is, um, in our culture and in our society, it may not, may not look this overt, but does this type of thing transpire? Um, I mean, it's a, it's a question just to be thrown out that, you know, is, is this just something from the time of the people of God struggled with in, in Israel, or is this something that is just a constant type of ongoing refrain throughout the history of mankind that we exploit one another, right? We exploit one another. Um, and, and what is the role of the church in a situation like that? What is our responsibility? What is our obligation as Christ ones to engage with that type of abuse? Well, I think you got to say it's still happening. I mean, you just look at what ha- what's happened in the last few years where people were given loans they couldn't, couldn't really afford them. Yeah. And they 
I didn't understand all the. It's a good thought process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It had serious consequences for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It's money, money, money. It was a money grab. Yeah, yeah. I think that historically you can see in many countries' development that there is a distribution of resources that really has an impact economically in terms of having a very few people owning the land. You see this in Brazil, you see this in South America, Central America, mm-hmm. where they are the landowners and then everybody else is poor. Like El Salvador, 15 families had all. Is that families. really? So, wow. So you, you, um, you know, so these are structures that are set up historically from way back. And mm-hmm. what happens is the church, the Catholic church, um, in particular, which that's my experience, what they do is they teach the poor that you suffer in patience and this whole idea of that, you know, the righteous are the wealthy and so the poor get this mindset of kind of passivity and staying and just yeah. kind of yeah. continues and perpetuates. Yeah, this is my lot in life type of thing. Yeah. Way of thinking and being. And I think mm. you can still see the influence in many cultures of that kind of and then laws get drafted right which reinforce that mm-hmm. and make sure that the status quo remains the status quo right well, you know, I mean the people with the power are the ones who make the laws right Extremely complicated. Um, Thanks for the example, Millie. That that's an Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'll stop there. Yeah. No, that's a helpful. It's a helpful thought process for sure. Yeah. You know, I grew up a, a farm, 
mm-hmm. and you know they're the landowners. You know, pay the majority of the taxes for mm-hmm. all the schools. You know, and, and then other people that live in town, you know, they hardly pay a pittance. Yeah, for right. schools. And right. Of course, when you know when I was born, the land was not worth very much, but now you know it keeps increasing mm-hmm. in value. Mm-hmm. So. Hmm. Yeah, I mean it. It is. It's it's incredibly complex about the structures of how all of this fits together right and even sometimes on how the church should come down on the issue right who what what would christ likeness most look like in this specific scenario and and you could take both sides of the equation and make a solid argument that it looks more like this over here right um and that's where things really become complex so poverty in the wisdom literature, right? We talk about um, the wisdom literature as being Proverbs, right? Song of Solomon and so forth. Blessings for those who care for the helpless and warnings for those who don't, right? And it's just constant refrain. Um, those who mock the poor insult their creator. And the poor are never seen as immoral or a threat to order and stability, but as fellow human beings created by God. Um, it's interesting in, in, in the idea that we've been talking about, we've been talking most in terms of economic poverty. When you talk about the Psalms and the refrain of, I'm poor and needy, I'm poor and needy. Um, there is a spiritual element that's involved in that as well. Um, a spiritual type of poverty before a rich and holy God. Um, there is the idea of being persecuted by those who are chasing. You know, David is constantly being chased, right, in the Psalms or, or hiding out or something along those lines, right? So this idea of being poor and needy is not always exclusively economic. It can have to do with circumstances it can have to do with spiritual relationship to a god who is fully rich right and in relation to a fully rich god right all of us are poor and needy okay and when we get to the new testament we see tokas that's kind of that second thought process there are poor that you support right through um ties and and through giving um, but there's also a spiritual type of poverty by which we come to Christ understanding our need okay so it's not socioeconomic poverty that I as I said earlier that's in any way blessed it's a attitude of the heart that's blessed right understanding our need Okay. So I'm going to just skip over this slide, but if you want to take a peek at it, it's interesting how within even the nation of Israel, the whole idea of, um, of, of people who have money, people who don't have money, how the nation divided along economic lines, how the different um, 
people viewed one another, the rich versus the poor, and so forth. Um, that's just kind of a little bit of a historical perspective, but it kind of sets into context this idea. There's a bit of an evolution. What God said is, is that there really should be no put. There should be no real distinction, right? And we see here it codified in living arrangements, the size of houses, and so forth and so on. It should be the exact opposite. The two uses of tokas, this is what I had just made mention of. It refers to both those who receive charity and those who hear the gospel and inherit the kingdom of God. Those who are poor in spirit, as Matthew says, right? People who understand their fundamental need, okay? In a lot of instances, that was people who were also economically challenged, okay? Because they understood need in a more deliberate type of way. Um, But at the same time, really, um, we're talking kind of more along the the heart lines. Um, And the obligations were the duty to care for the poor and give alms. And charity and care for the poor follow the double commandment of love, right? So as you, you, you don't love riches, right? You love God. You should have no idols in your life in any kind of way, all right? And to love your neighbor as yourself means to move out and help when there is obvious need. Okay, and we've said this quite a few times. So there are a variety of different implications to this. Never are the poor blessed because of the socioeconomic status. The poor who are blessed are the ones who have become disciples. Okay, Jesus speaks the Sermon on the Mount to followers, people who are following him, right? And these are considered the poor of Yahweh, people who are this idea of poor in spirit. And then we also see the reversals with the coming of the kingdom, right? Smyrna is considered to be rich in Revelation, even though they're economically poor, and vice versa. The Laodiceans are rich economically, but Christ considers them to be poor. So here we see the idea of poor being really a negative, and here a negative, and here a positive, and here a positive. Right? Whereas we're saying throughout the rest of the text that poverty is not necessarily the worst thing, right? In fact, to be rich and live in luxury would be to be worse. Okay? And the rich will suffer for their injustice. That's in James. Okay? So let's take a peek on some of these questions. When I was in seminary, I had a professor who was always asking us, so what, now what, so what, now what? (laughs) What does it mean, and why does it matter, and what do we do in response? Okay? So how did you guys deal with this? I'm interested to hear. Poor people in low-income countries and here in the U.S. typically talk in terms of shame, inferiority, powerlessness, humiliation, fear, hopelessness, depression, Social isolation and voicelessness. Wealthier North Americans tend to emphasize a lack of material things, such as food, money, clean water, medicine, housing, etc. Talk to me. What 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 were you thinking? What I don't know. Okay. I mean, because you know, that's that is. I mean, how 
as a North American, you know, when I look at poverty, I, I think of what they don't have, you know, but the subjective feelings of the poor people themselves are, you know, they're not talking about what they don't have, they're talking about how they feel, yeah. uh, which is yeah. bad. Yeah. It's not physical, it's actually mental. Mm-hmm. And emotional and psychological. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Good. And it just made me think of when I read the book, When Helping Hurts. Yes, yeah. right. Well, it actually comes from When Helping Hurts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is. That's. Yeah, but once the program, you know, they were uh, talking about the programs that really did help. People. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and what seems to, you know, to be the pattern is that people go into a community and they talk to the people and they, you know, and they ask them, you know, well, what are the resources that you have and what what can you do and, you know. And so they try to change that mindset. To the say, dialogue. Oh, look, here, look at this opportunity. They don't come in. They didn't go in and just say, here, do this. Right. Well, I'll help you. Yeah. But but they, they tried to draw out from the people what, what resources and what things they already did have. And then they worked from that. And the pe- they helped the people develop the plan themselves mm-hmm. instead of going in and saying, here, do this. Good. Good. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, right. People equate poverty with an inability to think through your own issues, mm-hmm. your own things, and so a lot of times that's why it becomes so top down, so patriarchal. Because you, you're talking to me, and, and I don't know if you, any of you ever saw this movie um, with uh, Chris Rock and uh, Jimmy, whatever his name is, Jimmy Fallon, movie, and they play they're silly, and he doesn't understand. He's talking to. The Oriental guy, he said, do you not hear the words that are coming from my mouth? <laughs> and a lot of times we would be in those meetings, you know, with politicians and with people. Martin Luther King came through and all those things. And they would be amazed at how, how did you people figure this out? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we have yeah. the same guy giving the television still creating the image of God. Yeah. And sometimes people forget that because you are of a different race, different culture, that you're not as intelligent. Sometimes that's the mental part of it. When he mentioned it's mental, it's the psychological displacement that people have towards you that makes it. Yeah. Or if yeah. you're a foreigner and you're here. Oh, yeah, same thing. You know, it's yeah. like, hello, you know, they, they really don't understand. Mm-hmm. When we lived in Germany for two years, every time we wanted to do something, mm-hmm. it's like you had to figure out what the process was. Yeah. And it wasn't like, like, you know, like it was <laughs> yeah. in the States. You know? Right, yeah. They did things reversed order sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> And that's right, exactly. And I think that's what they're getting to, right? It's access. A lot of this is access. That doesn't happen quickly. 
Yeah. No, it takes a real time commitment. That's right. That's right. But it affirms. But the beauty of it is that it affirms what's already there, right? It affirms what's already there. You know, I, I looked when I was contemplating this and, and started reading this book and, and looking at it. Is, and I realized is that and I, I think wealthier North Americans tend to emphasize lack of material things. From my perspective, you know, I really have to be honest and say I never really thought about this. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean. That is the natural thing that we would go to, food, money, clean water, whatever. Sure. But if, if we're honest with ourselves, do we really think about the cause of this thing and, and what's behind it? And I, I know from my perspective, I didn't, I didn't really. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I mean, yeah. and I think most people are in that boat. You know, they know there's poor, yeah, you, you don't want people to suffer, but do you really understand what is causing this and, and the real things behind it. Mm-hmm. Well, and to yeah. add to that, what would we do? We would write a check. Exactly. We would send something off because since we value materials and money and all those other right. things, we go, well, this is the obvious thing. And, and, and it's easy to say, I did my part yeah. in that. Exactly. Well, see, that gets down to you know number four where it says that you know you have to determine what's the proper approach. Is it mm-hmm. relief, rehabilitation, or development? And, and we always stop at relief, usually. Right. Yeah. Fish. Yeah, right. Right. Well, that's kind of why the packing of the seeds, you know, you're teaching them. It's not giving them fish, it's teaching them how to eat. Yeah. And I think those things are really good. But one thing that hit me, because I've been on a lot of international mission trips, mm-hmm. and when it says typically talking in terms of shame, always walk away feeling who's better off because they have such close unit with their own family and with the community that everybody is working together. Mm-hmm. And we don't see that here anymore. It's just like mm-hmm. the communities. A long time ago, everybody knew all their neighbors and they worked together and stuff like that. We don't see that mm-hmm. much anymore. So when I read that, I thought, well, I'm not sure they're, they're labeling what they're feeling. I think they're just trying to survive mm-hmm. yep. in the only way that they know. And, you know, Haiti's probably the worst because it's so hopeless. I mean, there's 80% unemployment and it's mm-hmm. filthy. And, you know, we work with the homeless kids and stuff like that. And they're about survival. Yeah. They're also such an incredible unit. Yes, right. And <laughs> you know, which is really hard, but um, <laughs> we don't have anything else. But everything, it's like, you know, there was uh, a church that was destroyed in Haiti. Anyway, there's a lot of things, but the whole community came together and built this church, mm-hmm. which was kind of what we would think is a garage with nothing in it. Mm-hmm. And we went for the inaugural, you know, service and so on, and everybody came dressed up, and there were you know, baptisms, and there were all this, and everybody participated in the whole process. 
and to get the water to mix the cement, this was on top of a mountain, from four o'clock in the morning, all day long, somebody was carrying a bucket of water over their head mm. up the mountain. Yeah. So yeah. literally, I mean, it took two and a half to three hours to get a bucket of water up there. Mm. So you saw this immersion in just survival, yeah. but also this incredible interrelationship. Mm -hmm. Everybody was helping one another. Mm -hmm. I yeah. was just in Nicaragua, and it's like everybody is a unit. Sure. You know, and we saw people with disabilities and kids, and everybody was taking care of one another. Yeah. And well, that's part of their culture, too. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we're very individualistic. Yeah. And they're more yeah. of a society, you know. So, can I say, I mean, I'm, excuse me, but I think in that um, Healthy One It Hurts, it talks about poverty of community. Yeah. yeah, and, and our, I think that probably we in the suburbs have poverty of community, yeah. in that we're not interconnected. Yeah, like, yeah, you know, and and um, and we also assume that God isn't working in the poor communities. That's totally wrong assumption. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, that some of the churches are stronger, you yeah. know, in, in poor so communities. Yeah, the hard part, like in Haiti, you know, when they had the, all the devastation, is all these. Yeah. We were saying like their uh, hotels and restaurants in this one section would make our five-star hotels look like two-star hotels. Mm -hmm. And the way we, you know, put whatever we would send to the orphanages we were working with, um, we knew there was one place that we could guarantee it would get there. Mm -hmm. But how much of that, let's say, thirty-five million dollars or whatever it was that we collected, actually goes to yeah. And that's yeah. the hard part. And I know the Justice Department was down there when we were down there. They were trying to jump in at any little window they could to help. Yeah. But it's um, some of these governments. <laughs> it's really yeah. sad. They're probably poor or a lower class, but they're really using the system. Yeah, there is certainly that. I mean, I don't think that anybody would deny that either. I, you know, we. Yeah, I know it's. Right. I know. I know. It, all of these questions come up, right? And then, and then you go, for example, overseas and you do missions, you know, and it's hard to not come to the situation where there is incredible poverty with this idea, don't you know you're poor, right? Well, I haven't really, no, no, I, I don't know I'm poor until now, right? Which is problematic, Right, so I mean, you just that—that's a hard thing too, right? Well, children who grow up in dysfunctional families thinks it's normal. Yeah, yeah so exactly. Whatever your experiences, you say this is the norm. This is what it. What I struggle with here is when, when you read this, that the Western people think that everything can be solved by money. Mm -hmm. 
think the error would be to stop giving money. I, I yeah. think there are uh, some basic human rights, air, clean water, and meds. And I would put water in the area of relief. So how, if you don't have your health, how in the world can you function, even in, in third Absolutely. world, if you don't have clean water, and if you're going to build a well and say, oh, you're just you're, you're, you're upsetting, I say, no, this is a basic human right. Mm -hmm. I think well planters should are well deserving. Sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We should support this kind of work. With, even if we can't go and do it, our money. Yeah. And if we know that it's going to build a well, because I think that's a basic human right. I think clean so. Clean water and health. If you don't have those things, forget all the rest. You're, then that becomes your norm. Sick is being normal. Right. And we say, no, that's not right. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, you have that hierarchy of need, right? Was that Maslow or whatever? Yeah. Is it Maslow's hierarchy of need, right? Where you do have the physiological, yeah. you know, needs right at the very top. Um, and I think that that's absolutely true. You have, to, you have to have food. You have to have water. You have to have shelter of some kind, right? Th then things start to become a little bit more difficult, right, to work through. Yeah, right? Yes. Sure. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah, right. That's Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm, no, I just wanted to make sure.
you know, our culture is honored. And it was, it was what was happening, and I brought him, as soon as this was happening, Brian looked at me across the room like, <laughs> you know, and, and what was happening, even though this church, they had structured for diversity. Mm-hmm. All the black folks there and the Latino people that were sitting at the table still felt shame, still felt humiliated, mm. still felt powerless, still felt because what in their mind was church, and it was a little different in terms of music and different, and, you know, right. I'm experiencing it as I'm here. It's a different thing for me. But it wasn't any better or worse, but they, they didn't embrace it. And so what he was going to have was anarchy, and he would think it's because they're poor, but it's not poor, it was cultural to him. Yeah. And so mm. the ability for him to sit back, and, and even though he's read all the Baki books, he's done all the OCC, they have a CCBA up there, and the yep. whole nine, yep. he knows it here. But to experience it, he said, I never had a black person in the pulpit before. I said, then you need to get an African-American pastor, you need to get a Latino pastor, and understand that people... Are, Sometimes they're more comfortable with themselves. It doesn't mean they don't appreciate you, but that the system has made it so, that system that created things has made them feel shameful, powerless, what have you. So even though you're in a church together and you're worshiping God together, they feel differently about themselves than you feel about yourself. And they feel differently about you than they feel about themselves. So hmm. it, to me, what causes it is evil, is Satan. <laughs> yeah. And he is trying to tear us up and tear us apart in any way possible. He has used the system to keep us so far apart spiritually. I mean, even though it's the systems and the governments and what have you, it's a spiritual thing that as you move into these multicultural relationships with people, you begin to realize there is a, if we ever got ourselves together <laughs> as a church and understood who we are in terms of all that that means and how we have to build it for the lives of you know, we'd be a force to be reckoned with. But I think when you talk about the causes of it, the systems are there, but the evil is, and, and I'll talk about next week of how the church has abdicated its power yeah. to systems, and that's why stuff's not working. Yeah. Well, so then let me ask you, Felicia. So this this idea of shame and inferiority and powerlessness, and you said that there's a difference between the way that they look at themselves and look at others. Does this look better? In other words, are they looking at people that aren't like themselves as being better than themselves? It probably comes from the bigger factor, not necessarily the financial, but probably of a racism in the country in terms of, and, and that is, again, another evil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. You know, that, that God used from the beginning of time to create issues. So it wasn't so much that you got a better house than me, or you live in a better part of town than me, is you don't respect who I am because I'm of a different origin. Mm-hmm. And, and, and poor people, excuse me, this is just how I saw last week, this is that, that example, not the whole thing mm-hmm. And so, but, but that comes from a whole different mindset of having been pressed down, felt pressed down for so long. And so the fact that they wouldn't talk to him about it, they talked to me about it, I see. You know, I see. Yeah. Yeah. Take care of hundreds of years of mess. Can I ask a really hard question, then? Yeah. Are we wasting our time? No, you're not. Just because for, you know what I'm, what I'm saying, though? Oh, no, because the Lord, has, the Lord has told us to do this stuff. Right, but I mean, are we wasting our time going into the inner city as, as white uh-uh. people? No. Okay, I mean, I'm just... No, and that's because, you know what, you go with a different... 
Steve, this was up there. Okay, I'm not talking about Chicago. Yes. This is that one community. So don't take that. I know Ben Harbor. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Don't take that as all that. But but you're not wasting your time because God, first of all, commanded us to do it. Second, the church has power. Sorry, Tony. No, go. The hey, church hey. <laughs> the church is to raise up leadership, and then the church is to then multiply and do what it does in the world. It can't do it if you. Oh no no! I totally agree. I totally agree with that. But it's also if you're if you're throwing the seeds, are we better off throwing seeds in our own personal no, rich area? I think both. Judea, <laughs> Samaria, and other most parts. I mean Jerusalem, you're Samaria, right. and then go. I think that if we get discouraged and stop because of that, you know, the blessing is you guys will go into this when you go into the city with an awareness that most people don't have. Most 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 people of color don't have about themselves. You will know more. But the idea. It is how you deliver it and what you get to see and how it changes how you think about the world you live in and how you treat your person at work every day. I agree with you, by the way. I know you do. I know you're just asking a hard question. I don't, and you can ask anything. I won't get mad. So I'm saying don't stop doing it, but just understand that some things you won't ever be able to change because of the history behind it and, and what some people perpetrate and keep going within cultures, even our culture. You know, all white people are, no, they're not. You know? All this person is just, no, it's not like that for me. Well, we, we were talking after class last week about we're going to get sized up just like we size people up. Right. So, you know, maybe when, we, maybe when we jump off the bus, they've already put us in a box. Maybe or maybe not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so, but you don't worry about that. Right. <laughs> I look yeah. forward to it. Yeah, yeah, I look forward to watching you do it. <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, I'm allowed to be in the class. <laughs> I'm coming in next time. No, I mean, that that's a really, it's an important point to make because, um, you know, I, I had had an opportunity several years ago to go through the training of prison fellowship, right? And so I had an opportunity to go out to Stateville. And, um, you know, there's a certain credibility factor as, as well, right, about, you know, white kid from, you know, the suburbs who's wealthy, coming to minister to predominantly African-American young men, um, you know, and, and they said, you know, don't, you know, be respectful of the fact that these are people who don't have a lot of money. They haven't come from resources. So I tried to dress down as much as humanly possible. I mean, I had a ripped T-shirt. I had, I, you know, I looked like I had just, you know, and I tried Right, I tried, and yet I did a cell walkthrough with an African American woman whose son actually was incarcerated in Southern Illinois, and she had massive credibility, enormous credibility, and when she looked these young men in the eyes, they looked back. When I was having dialogues, it was a little different, right? Even though I tried to incarnate. Right, so there there is that there is that element as well. But I think Felicia is absolutely right. You still move against that, right? You still keep pushing into it. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's that presence thing, right? Yeah. Right. Because exactly. I've been involved for years in Mendenhall, Mississippi, and mm-hmm. I always thought it was very 
odd that we never got one person who wanted to go to Mendenhall who went on the justice journey. Hmm. Not one person from the justice journey ever stepped up and said, I'd like to go to Mendenhall. Hmm. And I always thought that was kind of strange. Yeah, they it's would a disconnect. The justice journey and then come back. Mm-hmm. And that's the end of it, yeah. <coughs> Okay, so the second one. What does this look like? We want to live out a gospel of justice and grace. We must see that living a life of luxury is collaborating with injustice. Piety and luxury can't coexist. What do you think about this? What would luxury look like, by the way? Yeah, and that and that's a that's a that's a difficult thing, right? I mean, what what is luxury versus being theoretically rich? Are they different? Are they the same? Well, I think luxury means having more than you need. We all have more than we need. We do. Yeah, we do. We are rich. We're rich. Oh, yeah, yeah. But we answer the question like question one. We go right to the economics, right? Mm-hmm. That's the problem. <laughs> right to the economics. That's what we're defining. We mm-hmm. have too many cars. We have too many houses. I mean, your house is too expensive. Mm-hmm. But I think it's deeper. Yeah. Well, because what about growth? Um, you know, I was listening to stories of great Christians on meetings, and he was wealthy. And he had, it sounded like they had luxuries. Like he gave a huge part of his salary away. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah, we know that Abraham had great wealth, right? We know that David and Solomon had great wealth. Job had great wealth. Um, I think that the idea between luxury and wealth is is kind of the, the hard attitude toward it. So if you look at the, um, if we look at Luke uh, sixteen, what is that? What is that parable that we're referencing there? Did anybody have a chance to look it up? It's, 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 it's Lazarus and the rich man. It's Lazarus and the rich man, right? It's not that the man had wealth. It's that he had great need residing right in front of his house, and his attitude was more along the lines of, gee, would somebody move this Lazarus guy, right? He's kind of cramping me a little bit, and I'm starting to feel maybe even a little uncomfortable, Right? I mean, it's kind of more along those lines. So it's, it's exceeding wealth in the presence of desperate need. Maybe not even desperate need. Felt need. Obvious need. Yeah. It's, it's more along the lines of, um, you know, having significant wealth in, in the presence of felt need real need and and yeah and and having that kind of heart attitude that says no that just says mine <laughs> right right i think that's when maybe we move from having wealth to being 
luxurious, and then a res- I, that may be a way to frame it. Maybe it'd be a way to frame it. Wealth in it. It's all relative. Yeah, it, it, it kind of is. I think so too. Yeah, and wealth. I mean, you know, wealth is even though James refers to the rich, and, and he really just absolutely castigates the rich. He always, in, in at least in the book of James, the rich are kind of thought of as as the unbelieving outsider. Okay. The one who persecutes the righteous believer, who is poor. Um, so, and, and he even goes to the extent where he works a circumlocution in, in the second chapter of James, and he refers to somebody of great wealth coming into the into the congregation, right? And he says, a man comes in with fine rings and you know great clothes. That's a believer who is. Theoretically rich, but James doesn't use that word rich. The word that he's using there, he's, he's expressing somebody who has great wealth, right? But he's a believer. That's different than being somebody who is rich in James' mindset, who is oppressing the poor. So he actually takes deliberateness to not use that word to express something that's similar. Isaiah 58. This is an amazing chapter. Why don't we, do we have time? Let's just read this chapter. I mean, this is, this will kind of get all up in our business a little bit. Okay. Okay. True fasting, right? Let's just go around. Can we just start with Scott and just... Soon as Scott... Yeah, let's just do all of 58, right? Yes, I am here. He will quickly reply, all you 
you need to do is to stop oppressing the weak and to stop making false accusations and spreading vicious rumors. Verse 10. <coughs> and if you spend yourself in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise into the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like the spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will rise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from that and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you will call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please and speaking idle words. Then you will find your joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Wow. <laughs> Those are powerful verses. What do we take away from those? What hits you from those verses? Yeah. You know, what what strikes me, you know, when I look at this and I look at injustice is, you know, who's your God? Um, the first commandment. Love your God with all your mind, all your soul, all your heart. And God recognizes the things that we do by looking at our hearts. And we can fast and we can say all these things. But what's really in our heart? Mm-hmm. And you know, I always say that if I could figure out how to keep the first commandment, I wouldn't have to worry about the rest the of rest them. The rest of them, yeah. <laughs> That's a and, good one. And, you know, to me, it's, it's not... To me, when I look at it, I don't look at it as wealth versus non-wealth. It's really, you know, where's your mind and your heart at? And, mm, yeah. And, and are you doing the things that the Lord ca- calls you to do? Mm-hmm. Not whether you're rich or poor or whatever. Is What are you doing with it and why are you doing yeah. what you're doing? Yeah. I appreciate and, that, John. Yeah. yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what I think about... I come to this passage from uh, verse 9. Um, then you will call, the Lord will answer. You will cry, and he will say, here I am. Um, sometimes we, we pray, and it seems like God is not present. We want God to be present, and I think the text is really saying, you, you live in community. Do you hurt with other people who hurt? Mm-hmm. To the point where you actually do something about it. And when you do something about it, God will say, aha, now, you, now you're getting the point. I am with them. I am with you. You are together. We're, we're all in this together. Mm-hmm. And I, I see community being screwed. Yeah, great. Love that. We, are, we can't just say, well, I'm glad it's not me. I'm glad it's not me. God's blessed us for yeah. a purpose, not to bless us, to be, but to be a blessing. Yeah. So yeah. if we have a lot, much is required. Yeah. Don't don't curse the things you have. Use what you have to benefit the many. Yeah, so. right. That's exactly right. Yeah, appreciate that. 
Yeah, look at the way that the Lord, what, what he promises here. I mean, it's not just like a little, well, you know, I'll get you through the next year and your your crops will prosper. I mean, it, he's like off the charts with it, what he's promising here, right? He says, when, when you do this, I'm going to bless you ridiculous, right? I mean, to, you'll be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings, Um and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. I mean, he just goes on and on and on about how he will bless. Yes, ma'am. Well, I love the word about the well-watered garden. Yeah. <laughs> it's beautiful what he's saying here, right? But it's, but it's all heart attitude, right? It's all about heart attitude. You know, a lot of these folks that were doing this type of fasting were, you know, to a certain degree, doing it to get out of the work that other people needed to do while they were fasting. You know, I mean, it was they were abusing the fast, right? He talks about this idea of, and you exploit all your workers, right? This whole idea of, he's, I, I'm doing it. You see, I'm doing it, Lord. Take. You know, put me in your checkbox column type thing. When in reality, they were doing it for, you know, cross purposes. So, yeah. But, I mean, it looks really tangible here, right? I mean, Isaiah 58 is really what Christ bases the Beatitudes on. I mean, you know, you're seeing the Beatitudes come right out of Isaiah 58. Yeah. Okay. Great, thank you. So, just a couple more here. A helpful first step in thinking about working with the poor in any context is to discern whether the situation calls for relief, rehabilitation, or development. In fact, the failure to distinguish among these situations is one of the most common reasons that poverty alleviation efforts often do harm. Relief can be defined as the urgent and temporary provision of emergency aid to reduce immediate suffering from a natural or man-made crisis. Rehabilitation begins as soon as the bleeding stops. It seeks to restore people and their communities to the positive elements of their pre-crisis conditions. Development is a process of ongoing change that moves all the people involved, both the helpers and the helped, closer to being in right relationship, right? Reconcile, right? in right relationship with God, self, others, and the rest of creation, right? The four areas of brokenness at the fall. Yeah, yeah. So CCDA does this type of thing, right, Felicia? Right? I mean, isn't this is the thought process? Everybody familiar with CCDA at all? You, you want to explain what that is for a few moments? Doing that, taking all their resources, watch a community change and look like a kingdom agenda. So, 
Yeah, right. Well, I mean, Arloa would be a perfect example of that, right? People, Wayne. Yeah, of course, Coach. Yeah. So is that the organization then that, for example, um, financed the development of the healthcare center there? Association, CCDA. It's huge. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I get mistaken for a lot. But no, I mean, I'm kind of like a social worker. I mean, that's part of my job, too. Well, yeah, that's yeah. part of yeah. But it started out just with regular people. This is Art Jones, isn't he? <laughs> Art Jones. He's a graduate <laughs> physician who brought his whole family down and moved yeah. to inner city Chicago. Yeah. 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 I, But I mean, meeting felt need, right? I mean, just immediately, right, off the off the bat is. Yeah, and so, I mean, pretty much all of the ministries that we're going to be going to, right, have their roots somehow in CCDA. I mean, Danita, right, is for sure. Right, exactly. Yeah. Last one. So this one is really kind of 
a challenge, right? And this is something to really wrestle with a little bit. With improvements in technology, the world has become ever smaller. And just as the rich can see the poor, wherever they may be, the reverse is true as well. What in the midst of poverty means then is far broader than it once was. The brother of affluent suburbanites is now the urban poor. So the question becomes, what is our, what is our obligation, right? Being that we have the capacity to see the need in a way that we've never been able to before, right? Because of technology and so forth. What is our responsibility? What kind of accountability do we have in the process? That's something to wrestle with a little bit, right? We hear of the disasters that take place all over the world, right? And the need and the crushing. And what happens to our hearts when, you know, and, and then you have this whole idea of if I take all of that on, <laughs> I'm just going to be crushed, right? So then you start to self-select out, right, about what can, how, how do I deal with all the need, right? How do I deal with all the need? The, so challenging, all right? All the need, crush your heart, and then take a small part and do something. Yeah, move, move somehow. Something. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, good. Good. But, you know, this is, this is I, when I was studying in, in seminary, I had to do kind of a really in-depth study of human trafficking. And this is one of the main problems involved with human trafficking. Why? This is, you know, an Asian problem, so forth. How can this? Because we export culture. We export culture. And the culture that we export is exceedingly affluent. And young girls, young boys, see what they don't have. So that opens them up to exploitation, right? Even by people who are neighbors, even by personal friends of the family. Oh, I have a job for you in such and so country. You can go there and you can have everything that you've been seeing that's coming out of America. It can look like that for you too. So then they hop on a plane or a train or whatever, are shipped off to a country where they don't even speak the language, and there's no job waiting for them there. But there's accountability, I think, on our respect because what we're putting out there, others are seeing. And to a very real extent, they just want what... They just want it too, you know? They, they, I mean, yeah, we export all of this stuff, right? Well, the, the Asian problem, not to divert, the Asian problem, though, the one child where the male is... Favored in China, sure. There's not enough Yeah. It just feeds the whole thing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's become it's become exceedingly problematic. But um, yeah, so so the so the poor are seeing how we live, right? They 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 see they they have the capability now of accessing what kind of lifestyle. Uh, is is the rest of the world leading when when I've never been able to see that before? 
Now it's accessible to them. Now they have that capability. So is the rescue of those who are trafficked relief, rehab, or development? Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. So first of all, you, Think you so. need to get them out of the situation. Got to get them out. Got to get them out now. Yep. Right? That's, yep. That's the relief. Yep. But then you can't drop them. No, of course. Right. Yeah, and there are so many organizations that help teach life skills, right? And to teach a, a, a craft or a, a vocation, one way or the other. And as they're rehabilitating the person, right, who has undergone massive trauma, um, so, so there's all of these elements. And the amazing stories of women who will then go back in, right, into the brothels, into places where they've had these just horrible experiences and pull others out and rescue. I mean, unbelievable, right? Yeah, the way that the Lord magnifies that. A hot book on this right now is The White Umbrella. Sure, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's, and that's here in the U.S., right? I mean, I don't think she's even talking about Asia. It's just, it's here, yeah. Yeah. I guess that's one way of really figuring out what area to focus on because if you've had that experience, that's part of your kind of being, maybe part of your, your mission um, is actually that area. Whatever you've had experience in, because there is so much and it's overwhelming. So, yeah, um, yeah. That's one way of kind of. Yeah, that's. Out. That's really helpful. And the last time that we did this outreach, I mean, it's as Marion had said, um, you know, different people's life, they bring different life experiences and different ministries resonated with different people where, you know, and that's fine, right? That's fine. Um, but we did have some experiences with human trafficking, and there were a couple of women whose backgrounds kind of, you know, moved in that direction where they were able to understand that issue in a way that a lot of others wouldn't be able to. So, yes, the Lord prepares us in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Thanks, folks. Um, Felicia is on next week with the city, right? Um, Are there any questions about the outreach? We are still trying to pull together... um, Let me turn this off.